0: Our reading today is from Acts chapter six, verses one to seven. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them so the word of god spread the number of disciples in jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith this is the word of the lord thanks be to god
1: i thank you lois for reading to us this morning And it's a great privilege to continue looking at the book of Acts with you today. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, please speak through your word this morning as we see its triumphal victory and your heart for those in need. Build us up together, we pray, amen. There might not be many of you who have shared this experience, but I grew up on a farm. There it is, up on the screen, and that's the view from my bedroom window. I loved it. I loved every bit of it. And it's almost certainly the reason I became a vet. With farms come animals. And with animals come lots of work. And we had lots of animals. Winter mornings like this one were some of my most vivid memories. Each morning before school, I'd put on my gumboots, ski gloves and beanie and set off on my morning food distribution. The crunch of frosty grass underfoot and my trusty Jack Russell Digby perched in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) Buckets of warm milk sloshing around as we went to feed the calves that had been rejected by their mothers. Digby and I would make our way around the horses, the calves, the alpaca, chickens, ducks, guinea fowl, and finally a quick count of the cows through the binoculars, all before 7.45 a.m. when the school bus would arrive at the front gate. Most of the time, everything got done. Some mornings, something was neglected, especially if I'd discover a burst pipe that needed to be repaired. It also didn't help that my sister kept campaigning for more animals. It got to the point where I felt stretched thin. But these responsibilities were also important. As we come to Acts 6, we find the apostles are faced with a similar problem, but on a much larger scale. Their oversight of the daily food distribution had also started to show some cracks But it's such a strange little story, isn't it? Why has Luke included this for us? Well, it sits within the context of the fragile early church. And in this story, we're confronted with another threat to the blossoming community of believers, a threat to the powerful ongoing spread of God's word. When we think back, we recall that chapters one and two were the picture of idyllic perfection for the early church. But soon, the storm clouds roll over. Waves of opposition threaten the existence of the church and the spread of the gospel. John Stott describes the first six chapters of Acts like this. He says, we might say that if the chief actor in the story of Acts one and two is the Holy Spirit, the chief actor of Acts three to six almost seems to be Satan. Over the past few weeks we've seen Satan's repeated attacks on the church and the word of God, persecution, physical threats, imprisonment, internal corruption and hypocrisy from Ananias and Sapphira. But in chapter 6, Satan's assailment is more subtle. It's one of distraction. Distraction in the hope that God's word would be pushed aside, neglected altogether. It all starts with a complaint. No one likes receiving a complaint, do they? While working as a full-time vet, I'm thankful not to have received too many complaints, but I did get a memorable one last year. A very precious little doggy came into the clinic, and the owners were very worried. That morning, the dog had brought up quite a few vomits and was feeling pretty flat. After excluding some more serious causes of vomiting, I diagnosed the dog with gastritis, probably a result of her helping herself to the delicacies of the compost bin pantry. One thing that would help the dog was an anti-nausea injection. It's an injection that's well known to sting, and before giving it, I always give a little preamble to the client, and I could only wish the dog could understand. Now I say, I warn them that this injection can sting a little bit. It's just a short sting, and it goes away very quickly, Some dogs don't even feel at all, and some let out a little yelp. Now, this dog let out a little squeak. I gave it a pat, and all was forgiven. The next day, the owner rang the clinic to say the dog had had the most traumatic experience yesterday, and expects the dog will be scarred for life. That complaint was something I didn't really want to deal with. Well, the complaint in today's passage is far more serious. And there would have been far more serious consequences had it not been resolved well. It's a complaint which erupted out of disunity. Disunity triggered by inequity. There it is in verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food distribution. We've already seen in Acts the beautiful picture of the church, the radical love and generosity of the believers towards each other. No one was in need. We need to remember that there was no social welfare system in the first century. And at this time, society afforded widows very little economic opportunity. Most did not own property, and most could not earn an income. They were dependent on the, needs, on the generosity of others for their needs. God also cares for widows. In several occasions in the Old Testament, God makes his concern known and ensures that his people have the same attitude and it was only a joy for the early Christians to take on this responsibility. This care for the poor was an important witness to the world. we f- read a few weeks ago that they sold houses and land and bought the money to the apostles' feet, who in turn distributed according to the people's needs. Daily food distributions, a bit like first century Uber Eats. It was an ambitious task, But we read in chapter four, the progress report, verse 34 says, there was not a needy person among them. But now in chapter six, some cracks are starting to show. This system of loving care and provision for those in need was no longer executing its vision. That's made clear by the complaint. The Hellenistic widows were being overlooked Hellenistic Jews were Greek speaking Jews. We assume they were also culturally Greek, Jews that were scattered after the exile, which had now returned to Palestine. Hebraic Jews, on the other hand, were thoroughly Jewish. They spoke Hebrew, they had retained their culture. Now, there's no suggestion that this was this inequity was in some way deliberate or motivated by cultural tensions. But it's more likely the result of an unintentional administrative oversight. The task was simply getting too big to be done well. So, how did the Apostles respond to this complaint? Well there's two things to note. Firstly, they recognize the importance of this ministry and secondly, They recognise their own limitations and calling. Waiting on tables. Important ministry. They respond to the complaint by calling a special church meeting. They seek the wisdom of the whole church, verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together. And then they said something that might take us by surprise. They said... It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to serve tables. What a surprising response. It sounds like a dismissive response. Are the apostles saying that caring for these widows is below them? Is waiting on tables less important than the ministry of the word? do they see this ministry as a waste of their time? What would you think if it came time to clean up after 10 a.m. lunch and John spanned the excuse, it would not be right for me to neglect the ministry of the word in order to serve tables. (laughs) A few weeks ago, I called a dog in from the waiting area into my consult room and on the way, he decided to mark his territory on the doorpost. I ran and grabbed a mop and cleaned it up. And as I did so, the owner joked, well, you didn't study all those years at university to mop up the floor. It's a sad assumption in our society. We put a value on certain tasks which determines who should and shouldn't do them. Do the apostles think this way? You'd think that if they took the complaint seriously, they'd clear their diary in order to sort it out. It's important that we hear that the apostles don't think this way. They don't think this way at all, and neither should we be tempted to elevate particular Christian ministries. For the apostles, this is not a question of importance, but of calling. They recognized too well the importance of this ministry. They know this was a ministry after God's own heart, a cause he goes to great length to defend. The food distribution was tangible, living proof of the gospel of grace, which was so powerfully at work amongst them. To dismiss the importance of this ministry would be to undermine the transformation the Holy Spirit is bringing about within each believer and the whole community. To transform them into a generous, loving, sacrificial family which looks not to the needs of of themselves but to each other. The way the apostles respond to this complaint shows us just how important they recognize this ministry to be. It's so important it needs the help of the most godly people in their midst. Waiting on tables? Important ministry. Verse 3 Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. This is important ministry. A high standard is set for whoever is to take it on. Full of the Spirit full of wisdom. It's important to notice that the seven are not chosen firstly for their gifts, but for their character. They're chosen for the person they are, not the things they can do. This is a lesson we so easily forget, and a lesson which keeps repeating itself throughout history. It's a disaster when gifted people with significant character flaws are appointed to any type of Christian ministry. We love to praise gifts, but God cares more about character. Well, the apostles don't dismiss the complaint, but rather recognize the importance of this ministry. It's so important, it's not worth doing badly. They don't have the capacity to do it well, And if they did give it the attention it deserves, it would come at the cost of their own ministry calling, prayer and the ministry of the word. Verse 2, they say, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God. And verse 4, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The apostles were called to a ministry of prayer and a ministry of the word. They recognize that this is the particular ministry they are to focus on. It's a simple matter of capacity. A day only has 24 hours. You and I both know the outcome when we take on more than we can manage. Until this point, they had managed to coordinate the daily food distribution, in addition to prayer and teaching, but it's got to the point where to do one well, the other would have to suffer. And faced with this tension, the apostles discern where their focus must remain, prayer and the ministry of the word. And prayer and the ministry of the word go hand in hand, mustn't they? It's so interesting that in verse four, prayer comes first. You almost always hear people say, the ministry of the word and prayer but the apostles give their attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Prayer must always be the grounding as the word of God spreads. By prayer, the Holy Spirit makes God's word effective as it pierces hearts. We can assume that this focus on prayer included leading public prayer as well as private prayer. A ministry saturated in prayer as the word of God spreads. It must continue to go out. The same word which has already spread with power, the public teaching of the gospel, the announcement that the Christ has come, the message of forgiveness of sin offered through trusting in Jesus, the gospel of grace. The message which has already spread throughout Jerusalem, which must continue to spread to the ends of the earth. Satan is determined to silence this word of life. And if he can do it through distraction with other good things, even important ministry, he will. So, the apostles discern this moment as a key test for the church and they come to this vital conclusion. Prayer and the ministry of the word is important ministry and it must be done well. And care for the widows is important ministry and it must be done well. The apostles cannot do both. So, verse 3: Brothers and sisters, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And the church was on the same page. Verse 5 this proposal pleased the whole group. The motion passed unanimously. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, who we read more about in chapter 6 and 7. Also, Philip, and he comes back in chapter 8. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them, commissioning them and giving them responsibility for this ministry. A few writers have noticed that the names of the seven men chosen appear to be Greek names, did these men all come from the Hellenistic group? It's quite possible. And if this was the case, then it's a remarkable demonstration of the trust and grace on behalf of the Hebraic Jews. The Hebraic Jews were the ones on the receiving end of the complaint. And now they decide to entrust the care of their own widows to the Hellenistic Jews. A welcome, gracious resolution to the disunity which threatened to divide the church. So what was the outcome of this quarrel of disunity? How successful was Satan's attack on God's gospel plan? It had the opposite effect, verse seven. So the word of God spread. It spread unhindered, it grew and multiplied. It was not neglected as Satan would hope, but given the focus it needs. And as it spreads, we see the results. God's word doesn't return empty-handed. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. God's word guarded. Widows cared for the word of God spread. Many believed. The question now becomes, what does this story have to teach us? We live in a different place and time to the early church, and this was a particular problem they encountered. But the principle still holds. Everyone can't do everything. God's word must still go out. And there are many practical needs in the church. The principle is this. First, that God calls all his people to ministry. And secondly, he calls his people to different ministries. All are called to ministry. The fact that God calls us all to ministry shouldn't be a surprise to us. And when I talk about ministry, I'm talking about serving. The seven served tables. The apostles served the word. Both served God and his people. Just as Jesus came not to be served but to serve, we too are called to serve, to minister. A common question I get asked while I'm doing my traineeship is, do you think you'll end up going into ministry? Well, we all understand what the question's asking, but it would be wrong for us to have the view that there are just a select few who are in ministry. And then there are many of us that are not in ministry. My response really should be that I am already in ministry. I have been in ministry for some years and I will be in ministry for the rest of my life. Whether God is calling me to the ministry of the word in particular is what my traineeship and all of you are helping me work out. Whether I am or not, my life is still one of Christian ministry. Each of us are called to minister. And this will look different for each one of us, and it should. The danger with the book of Acts is that it's easy to think that all the early believers did was serve in the church and be engaged in evangelism. They had their everyday lives to live as well. Some of us have demanding jobs. Some of us have families to manage. Challenging seasons or illness. Ministry will look different for every one of us. At work, at home, and at church. Some, like John and Nat, are rightly set apart so they can put more time and energy into gospel ministry. But ministry, in the broad sense, is for all of us. It's a weak and fragile church which thinks that ministry is only done by a small handful of people. Brothers and sisters, this is not how it should be. Ephesians 4.11 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, that's every one of us, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So it's with the understanding that all are called to ministry that we consider the second principle, that we are all called to different ministries we together make up the body of Christ. One body, many members. Paul reminded the Corinthians that not everyone is an eye. Not everyone is a hand. Not everyone is a nose. Each of us has a special place and function. And God made it this way. Paul goes on to say that God arranged the members of the body, that's you and me, Each one of them as he chose. Each indispensable. Each with gifts for ministry. Within the body of Christ, we don't have to choose between one important ministry and another. If everyone was called to the same ministry, it would be like cutting off a leg in order to strengthen an arm. Do you have a narrow view of Christian ministry? A view which sees ministry as just the job of Sam, Nat, John, and Amy? Or do you have God's view of ministry? Welcoming, hospitality, evangelism, music, children's ministry, we desperately need more leaders for children's ministry, property maintenance, setting up chairs, finance, Bible teaching, leading connect groups, administration, giving, preparing meals for those who need them, visiting people in hospital or those who are going through a hard time. This is all Christian ministry. Romans 12, 4 says, "'For just as each of us has one body with many members, "'and these members do not all have the same function,' So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. If God has given you a gift, then use it. I think it's also really important to point out that though we might have particular gifts, we're not restricted to the one ministry. Remember, the apostles were coordinating the daily food distribution before the job got too big for them. Stephen and Philip are both engaged in the ministry of the word in the coming chapters of Acts. I think more of us have the gift of washing up than we'd like to acknowledge. We must all love our neighbours, and we must be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. At St. Jude's, we're careful not to neglect the ministry of the word. And it's vital that we don't. We need to be equally careful not to neglect the practical needs of those around us. A couple of years ago, a friend asked me, what does your current ministry look like? And how do you think your ministry will look over the next few years? It was a great question. And as we've seen, it's a question for all of us. What does your current ministry look like? And what do you think your ministry might look like over the coming years? It might look like remaining exactly where God has placed you now, continuing your ministry in your workplace, at home, and at church. It might look like me considering if God is calling you to focus on the ministry of the word. It might look like the seven in Acts 6, seeing the needs amongst us and maybe even scaling back a part of your life so that need can be met. Waiting on tables, important ministry. The ministry of the word, important ministry. Everyone can't do everything. One body, many members. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word continues to spread and increase. Thank you for our sake that the apostles kept preaching the gospel. Thank you that you give gifts to your people so that the body of Christ might be built up. Help us to use our gifts in the various places you've placed us, to serve you, your church, and those around us.